Well, good morning. And happy Father's Day to fathers in the room, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. Um, excuse me here as I'm working multiple technology. This is... Confusing at best. Okay. Well, kids, I hope that uh, hope you've done something special for your dad this morning. And if you haven't, I hope you do something special for him this afternoon. My kids, um, if you don't know, are 24 and 21. Um, so I've been through a few seasons of fatherhood. Not all seasons, but a few. I've tried to take that responsibility seriously, uh, though I know. I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. Being a father is a serious responsibility, isn't it? We'll see from our passage today how the example a father sets uh, impacts his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So fathers in the room this morning who are striving to honor the Lord in that God-given responsibility, there are good reasons today to recognize you to celebrate you. And I say that knowing that Father's Day uh, is not going to be easy for some of you. Maybe today is a stark reminder that your dad is no longer with you or a child you loved is no longer here. Today may have moments of sadness and grief because of that loss, and I want you to know that's okay. And maybe today stirs up other emotions about your dad. Maybe he walked out on you and your family. Maybe he caused you pain that you tried to forget, but it never really goes away. If that is you this morning, we'll see in our passage that your past does not need to define your future. God can redeem and make whole what has been painfully broken. So before we dig into our passage this morning, will you join me as I I pray for our fathers uh, this morning? Lord Jesus, I want to lift up fathers in the room this morning and ask that you will fill them with a full measure of your grace, your patience, your strength and wisdom so that they may lead and care for their families in a way that honors and glorifies you. I want to lift up those here this morning who have lost their father or a child and pray for your peace and comfort to surround them and that you will strengthen their trust and faith even when circumstances don't make sense. And for those here this morning who have experienced pain from their fathers, I ask that you will grant them the grace to forgive and that you will redeem the pain of their past so that they can break that pattern and experience your never-ending love. As we turn now to your word, grant us open hearts and open minds to what you have to teach us. I ask all of this in your holy name. Amen. Well, for anyone visiting this morning, we are preaching through the book of Deuteronomy, and we're in chapter 5, where Moses is repeating the Ten Commandments that God had given in Exodus chapter 20. And last week, if you were here, Pastor Jonathan uh, preached on the first commandment, which reads, you shall have no other gods before me. And today we'll be looking at the second commandment, 
the second commandment. The second commandment. It's up there? Fantastic. Did I go too far? No, okay, great. Okay, can I say that again? Today we'll be uh, looking at the second commandment, and our passage is uh, Deuteronomy 5, 8 through 10. And it's up on the screen. If you want to follow along, I will read that passage for you. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, I'll confess to you uh, that I've never really given the second commandment much thought. In fact, I don't think I've given much thought to the first or second commandment. They seem pretty similar to each other, and it's not like I have a carved statue on my mantle that I worship. So I think I casually skim over these verses until, of course, I have to preach on them. <laughs> and then uh, that is a good incentive to uh, study them. And um, I'll say, as I've studied and prayed over these verses over the past few weeks, I've not only learned a lot, uh, but I've been convicted by them. And I hope to share some of that with you this morning. The ESV translates the second commandment like this. You shall, have, you, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now, it might seem that this commandment is more or less a subset of the first commandment. Obviously, if I carve myself a little statue, call it my God and worship it, I'm not just breaking the second commandment, I am also breaking the first commandment. And while in our Western culture, we generally don't see physical idols like we might see today in Asia or India, there are plenty of false gods in our culture that are worshipped. It's common in Christian circles to label these false gods as idols. If you search Google for the phrase modern-day idols, you'll find dozens of Christian websites and videos that rightly point out how, how money and pleasure and entertainment, image, education, politics, even family can all become idols that we worship and serve. And to be super clear, I don't have a problem labeling these things as idols. I actually find it helpful because Scripture is clear. We are to get rid of all idols. We're to bury them and destroy them. And we should do the same with these modern-day idols that are so tempting to worship and serve. But for purposes of this sermon, I'm going to put those things into the category of false gods. And the reason I'm making this distinction is because I think worshiping and serving the false gods of money or image or whatever it is that I desire is more of a first commandment issue that's putting a false god before the one true God. And our passage today is God's second commandment, which is not limited to worshiping a pagan idol. 
Commandment number two also applies to how we worship the one true God. Specifically, God forbids making for ourselves an image of him or worshiping an image that is meant to represent him. Here's one way to think about the distinction between the first and second commandments. The first commandment emphasizes only worshiping the one true God. And the second commandment emphasizes worshiping the one true God in the right way. And that is the message for us this morning. Worship the one true God rightly. To help us better understand this, it's, it's helpful to go back in time and consider who the original audience was. Now, if you know your Bible history, then you know that for 400 years, God's chosen people, the Israelites, oops, I went ahead of myself here, uh, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, right? That's longer than the United States has been a country. And after 400 years, God raised up Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. God accomplished this by sending plagues on Egypt until Pharaoh finally released the people from slavery. And when Pharaoh changed his mind and sent an army after them, God parted the Red Sea, rescuing his people and defeating the Egyptian army. And it was shortly after this demonstration of power that God gave his people his commandments. You can read about that in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. Here in Deuteronomy, Moses is repeating these commandments to the next generation of Israelites who are preparing to enter into the promised land. You'll recall it's the next generation because the generation prior to them had rebelled against God and his plan, and God responded by having them wander the wilderness for 40 years. I share all this background because the original audience had grown up in ancient Egypt. So had their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. 400 years of Egyptian culture surrounding the Israelites. So they would have seen how the Egyptians used images and idols in the worship of their gods. So I found this very interesting sort of uh, academic article uh, describing the Egyptian worship practices. And I thought I'd read some of it to you. The Egyptian deities required food, drink, clothing, and rituals of purification to sustain them. These needs were met in the course of rituals performed before a cult statue of that god that was thought to provide an abode for the deity's soul. The idol wasn't the god itself. It was a dwelling place, an abode for the god. Three times a day, the high priest of the temple performed purification rituals. The cult statue was washed, anointed with perfume, dressed with clothes and necklaces. Food and drink were laid before the idol. The high priest was accompanied by choirs of temple singers. Additionally, the Egyptians would have festivals where the statue was removed from its sanctuary, paraded to other temples while, while temple personnel and, and other residents danced and, and sang and celebrated their God. And no doubt, the Israelites had witnessed this type of Egyptian worship. This probably explains why Aaron fashioned a calf out of gold in Exodus 32. 
then built an altar before it and declared, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. The golden calf was not a new God for Israel. It was an image meant to represent Yahweh, the, the God of Jacob, who had just delivered them from Egypt and parted the Red Sea. You see, it didn't take very long for the people of God to worship the right God in the wrong way. The use of carved images in worship had been modeled for them for centuries, and it was the practice they would see again when they entered the promised land. So God issues commandment number two, not only to warn them against worshiping pagan idols, but to warn them not to use images when they worshiped him. Now that leads to a question, what, why would he care? You know, what, why the big deal about images? For the sake of time this morning, I'm going to answer that with just two reasons. I, I know there's others, but two reasons why God commanded his people not to worship him with images. The first reason is that God cannot be contained. God cannot be contained. The idol was basically a container for the God. It was believed that this little statue was an abode for God's soul. You could store it on a shelf. You could keep it in a temple. You could carry it around with you. It was there when you needed it. You could keep it shiny and clean. If you wanted the God to smile upon you, just carve a smile. If you wanted a God who was strong for you, make it a big, strong bull with well-defined muscles. This God would be reduced to whatever the engraver engraved on this idol. And that might be fine for the host of Egyptian deities or the pagan god of Baal, but not so for Yahweh, the one true God. God has no limits and God cannot be contained. At the dedication of God's temple, Solomon prayed, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? But behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. And as Angie read a moment ago, Paul said, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Any image meant to represent God only serves to reduce and narrow how we view him. And we need to be reminded over and over again how great God is. We need a bigger view of God, not a smaller one. Scripture tells us that God is spirit. God is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the eternal and everlasting God. He is abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. His love endures forever and his faithful, faithfulness to all generations. His sovereign reign will never end. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. And that is a sampling of God's attributes. What image can capture all of that? God says this 
to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Isaiah 46, 5-9. No wonder Moses declared, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Exodus 15, 11. Or why Paul declared, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. Romans eleven thirty three. It is irreverent foolishness to think that God can somehow be fit inside a little box or be represented by a picture or a carving or a statue. He issues commandment number two to protect against such irreverent foolishness, to be sure his people don't believe that he can somehow be contained and carried around and taken care of. Of course, we don't have statues of God today that we worship, so we're, we're okay here, right? I think there's application for us this morning. I urge you to prayerfully ask yourself if there are ways you try to contain or limit God in your worship. And by worship, I don't mean just what happens here on Sunday morning. I mean how you respond each day to God meaning your heart attitude and your outward words and actions. You know, one way we might limit God is by overemphasizing one of his attributes while ignoring and neglecting other attributes we find hard to accept. This incomplete understanding of God can lead to misrepresenting God's word. For example, we can read a passage like 1 John 4.8. that tells us God is love. It's true. God is love. But if we focus only on God's love and neglect His holiness and His perfect righteousness, we can end up wrongfully justifying sinful choices. God's love is not a license to do whatever makes you happy. To worship God rightly, we ought to desire and pursue a full and complete view of God. If we need an image to help us, we can look to the person of Jesus Christ. Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1.15. In Hebrews 1.3 affirms, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. But what do we know about the image of Jesus? We don't know much about his appearance. What we know about Jesus relates to his character and his patterns and his position. We know of his humility and his compassion and his submission to the Father and his love for God and God's word. We know of his omniscience and power and authority. We know he was without sin. 
We know he could see through a person's outward appearance and perfectly discern the motives of their heart. We know of his kingship and his lordship. We know of his victory over sin and death. We know of his judgment of evil and eternal hope for all those who put their trust and faith in him. May we seek to worship God in all his fullness and is displayed for us by his son, Jesus Christ. Another way we might try to contain God is by limiting our worship to Sunday mornings or only when he's most needed. Perhaps you neglect a regular daily pattern of worship, but when you're hit with a life crisis, then you pull out your Bible and start praying. Maybe you feel too busy. You just can't find time for daily worship. Or maybe you really believe that you only need God when things aren't going well. Either way, he's like an idol that sits on your shelf until you need him. If you struggle with this, I'd like to offer a suggestion to help you break that pattern. It's a suggestion. I'm going to go into a little detail here. You might want to write this down. Matthew 6, verses 7 to 13. This is where Matthew records how the Lord modeled prayer for us. You can use this passage as a model for daily time with the Lord. And I don't mean recite it. I mean use it as a pattern for worship. You're going to see in the Lord's prayer that God is not a statue we pull out when we need him. The prayer begins like this. begins by giving God the honor and worship he deserves. Hallowed be your name. May we give the Lord honor and worship every day. It's a model for humbly submitting our will to God's will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we humbly submit all we have to the Lord every day. That means our worship involves studying and obeying his word. Your will be done means our interactions with others are gentle and kind and patient. It means we give cheerfully. It means we forgive willingly and dozens of other instructions he gives us. It's a model of worship that depends on God for everything. Give us this day our daily bread. Every good gift is from above, James 1.17. May we recognize each day that all we have is from the Lord. It's a model of worship that confesses our own sinfulness and extends to others the forgiveness we have received from God. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. May we have a posture of confession, repentance, and forgiveness every day. And it's a model of worship that seeks to obey God and rely on His strength to do so and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is just one idea to cultivate and strengthen your relationship with God through daily worship and not just pull Him out when you think you need Him. Now, there's more that could be said here, but I want to move on to a second reason why God commands us not to worship Him with images. And that reason is God cannot be controlled. God cannot be controlled. In that ancient culture, there was a symbiotic relationship between the people and the idol. If you remember what I read earlier about this Egyptian practice, the Egyptian deities required food and drink and clothing and rituals 
a purification to sustain them. These needs were met through the course of rituals performed before the statue. The belief was that if I take good care of this image, then the God will take good care of me. So I would follow the right rituals and be sure the idol was clean and fed. In return, I expect the God to grant me peace and prosperity. My idol worship was meant to please and appease the God so that I received what I wanted in return. Friends, approaching the one true God in this fashion reveals a very wrong view of ourselves and of God. First, we do not have a symbiotic relationship with God. There is nothing that God needs that only we can give him. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. Second, we worship God because of who he is and what he has done, period. Our worship is a response to God, allowing him to receive the glory that he alone is worthy to receive. We do not enter worship expecting to receive something from him in return. Finally, God is sovereign over all things. We do not and cannot control him. Not to you, O Lord, not to us. I mean, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, Psalm 115. I know this might really challenge someone here today. I think it's easy to drift into thinking that God owes me something. Look at me, God. I've been faithful to my wife and family. I've been a hard worker. I shared Christ with my coworker. I've discipled my children. I've led devotions and prayed with my spouse and spent time in your word and attend church regularly. I've done all the right things. So, so why fill in the blank, right? Why do my wife and I never get along anymore? Why did the company downsizing leave me without a job? Why this disappointment or illness or relational tension or financial hardship? The line of reasoning reveals a heart that expects something from God. It reveals our worship is a means to control God. Thus, it undermines his sovereignty over us. We might scoff at the most blatant abusers of the prosperity gospel, but have adopted our own softer version that thinks the Christian life is absent suffering and hardship, or that following a formulaic life of worship and obedience results in our version of health, wealth, and happiness. Our call as Christians is not to pursue worldly happiness in a life of ease. Our call is to follow and serve Jesus Christ and do it all for the glory of God. He might very well bless you with a happy marriage or children who love the Lord or an unexpected pay raise or physical or relational healing. If so, amen, praise God. Or he might place you in a situation where you are called to set aside your own interests for the good of others or where following him means a season of suffering or hardship or pain or illness. That season might last years or a lifetime. If so, amen and praise God. 
We need to carefully avoid believing that if I only pray a certain way or follow a certain ritual, then I can expect God to shower blessings of abundance on me. That is idolatry. That's breaking the second commandment. A couple application points to consider. First, worship God for who He is and what He has done. Maybe you've wrongfully approached worship as a give-to-get experience. Or maybe worship has become a chore for you. One idea to engage in worshiping God for who He is and what He has done is to read through the Psalms and see how the psalmists model that. Second application. Instead of approaching prayer like a to-do list you're giving God, consider praying your requests with a heart that says, not my will, but your will. With a heart that says, help me desire what pleases you. With a heart that says, use this situation to grow the fruit of the Spirit in me. With a heart that says, help me to trust and depend on you in this situation, no matter the outcome. With a heart that says, use this situation to conform me to the image of Jesus. With a heart that says, help me discern what you are teaching me in this situation. The second commandment instructs us to worship God rightly. And while we may not bow down to a graven image, it is a careful warning against trying to contain God or control God in our worship. I want to end today where I began as it relates to fathers by looking at the end of verse 9 and verse 10 that reads, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of, of those who love me and keep my commandments. Two encouragements to leave you with this morning. The first one is this. This passage is not suggesting that God unjustly punishes someone because their father or grandfather sinned. We know this from other passages of Scripture, including Ezekiel 18, 19 to 20, and Romans 2, 6. It does point, however, to the reality that what is modeled at home impacts a child's beliefs and behaviors. A hot-tempered parent should not be surprised to see their children acting in a hot-tempered way. So fathers, this morning, the example you set impacts multiple generations. May this be not just a warning, but an encouragement to you to not grow weary of doing good. Second encouragement, I want to note here that the Lord's judgment is on the generations of those who hate him. The qualifier, those who hate him, ought to be very encouraging to anyone who grew up with a father who acted sinfully towards them. You are not tethered to the past. Amen. Well, thank you. <laughs> I was ready to go and now I got choked up. You are not tethered to the past. You can break that sinful pattern of your father and experience the abundant, steadfast love of your heavenly father. Turn your heart to the Lord. Nothing is impossible for him. His steadfast love 
never ends. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are our creator, our redeemer, our comforter, our Lord, and our King. You and you alone are worthy of our worship and praise and obedience. Protect us from thinking we can contain you or control you. Help us this week to faithfully serve you and follow you no matter our circumstances. We ask this in your name. Amen.